Hey folks, welcome to another episode of From the Vault. There's a bit of a theme you may have noticed with these From the Vault episodes. They kind of echo a little bit the artist or the topic that we've covered that week. This week on the main show, we did Excavation by the Hacksand Cloak. Now, if you've listened to that, you'll know that it's quite heavy, quite oppressive music. And I don't mean that it's heavy in the sense that it's lots of clanging guitars, but no, it's quite thematically heavy, quite existential, really dark, very grim. So we decided to do something a little bit more lighthearted for our From the Vault series this week. We're still going to keep on the same sort of track of film soundtracks, of course, but we wanted to go back to the year 2020 and to Mitch's movie Mixtape, which is a two-parter with our good friend, the film composer, Mitch Bain. So yeah, I hope you really enjoy this episode. We talk about some of our favourite film soundtracks and it's just a laugh, really. Really light-hearted and a lot of fun. So enjoy. Hi, you're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by the Devil's Rejects. <laughs> hey there. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Can I, be, can I be the bird? You're hot enough. Can I don't I, think this, I've ever so. seen that. Is that a Rob Zombie film? Yep, yes. it is. So this week we are joined by Mitch Bain, uh, who, I've, who I've known for a wee while, actually. He's one of the guys that is responsible for the Strong Language and Violent Scenes podcast, um, also based in Glasgow, much like us. Um, I've been to one of the live shows, not not both of them, uh, and they're cracking fun. And the, oh, podcast so much. Is, the podcast is cracking fun as well. So, Mitch, thanks for joining us. Ah, thanks very much. Thanks very much. I don't do the like being a guest in other people's podcast thing very often because most of the time, if somebody's picking one of us, they pick Andy because he actually knows things. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for taking that punt on the ignorant one. <laughs> I, I can't help but notice that your podcast's a fair bit slicker and more successful than ours. So. I don't know if either of those things are true. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Everybody wants to slum it now and again. So <laughs> no, 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 it's like this. This is uh, this is like something that I'm very excited to talk about. I have a very long and weird list of things that I'm looking forward to getting into. It's uh, straight out the gate. So Dave, did you research Mitch's number one choice? I actually did. Yeah. I watched a, I watched a clip. But um <laughs> a... <laughs> Welcome to Division Three, Mitch. <laughs> I'm a football, please. <laughs> You've reached that stage in your career where they've farmed you out on loan. <laughs> Coming getting soon to through. So Mark, what's, what's the format today? What rules are we playing? Uh, well, Mitch, as I just said, runs a movie podcast. This is mostly focused on horror. Um, he has an array of guests he brings on pretty much most weeks. Uh, but we thought because he's a movie buff and we, we've all seen movies, that we would do a, a movie mixtape. <laughs> so, uh, this, as a crossover idea goes, I like it. I think it's a good one. 
and it's going to be called it will be called people will now know it's called Mitch's Movie Mixtape so oh okay wow okay okay <laughs> Mitch how would you describe your taste because I was personally surprised at the lack of morbidity in your in your choices it, 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 you almost came across as an optimist and I was not expecting <laughs> you know what honestly actually yeah you know what like deceptively optimistic is something people have said about me quite a bit no um, I uh, I would say that like I, I guess we're, we're talking film taste right I think music as well. I, film-wise, like I say, horror's been kind of like the main thing for me for probably about the last maybe like eight or ten years. But I think that the other things that I tend to gravitate towards are kind of like, kind of indie dramas and indie comedies and things like that are the kind of things that kind of draw me in. I was a bit of a latecomer to just like watching films more than the average person does. I didn't start doing that probably until about my early 20s. So I've spent quite a lot of time working backwards. But if we're talking about like favourite films, I would say like things like Secret in Their Eyes, uh, Drive, Confessions... Um, after Midnight, which I'll speak about in a little while, things like that. Um, so I don't know. I think that a lot of things, whether it be horror, whether it be indie, whether it be drama, comedy, whatever, there seems to be a kind of like telling a fairly simple story and a kind of indie sensibility to most of it. Uh, the fact that I tend to gravitate towards things that tell those kinds of stories, but also incidentally are cannibal movies or monster movies or whatever <laughs> is just uh, an, an aside, I suppose. Uh, m- music, Musically, I mean, like, um, I worked at a local radio station back home for 10 years, so, like, knowing popular music from basically the 60s to now was kind of part of my job for a bit. So, like, uh, music-wise, I would say, like, it's there's no one easy way to kind of pin that down. And I think that comes across with scores and things like that as well. Uh, I kind of like what I like, and I find it very hard to describe it beyond that, which makes me sound like one of those people that just goes, oh, I just like a bit of everything, which is a horrible, reductive way to talk about anything. <laughs> and a total turn off uh, on a date. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like any any question that you can't answer in fifty words or less is a bad one. I would say, or it's a bad answer. Well, this is the second movie mixtape that we've done, um, but the last time it was just the three of us, and we went for our favorite scores and like you know original music for films. Whereas this mm-hmm. is different. This is our favorite tracks from films. Yeah, so, like soundtracks yeah. rather than scores, right? Yeah, so songs that existed before the film, basically. Sure, sure, sure. And also, I'm not going to include Judgment Night in this, because that was my choice for that previous episode, and that would have been a good candidate. I mean, those songs didn't exist. They are standalone singles and stuff, and they were written for that. We didn't really specify if music could be written for this. I know it's one of Mitch's choices, was written specifically for the film. That's true, uh, actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, so other than that, there's not a hell of a lot of rules. I think the choices are probably going to vary pretty wildly. We also asked some of our regular listeners and uh, part-time hosts to chip in some suggestions, seeing as he couldn't be with us. It's one of those topics that gets everybody pretty uh, excited because everybody's got ideas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll touch on them. I think, uh, obviously, we narrowed it down, so Mitch has picked ten. Uh, the three of us, representing Unsung, have picked three each, and then we've all picked wild cards, which are songs that as far as we're aware, are not in movies. They actually, I suppose they could be, we've just not heard, but they they would make for a good soundtrack to it and we'll try and pick like a style of film or a certain moment that they could maybe be used. Uh, but obviously because we had to narrow it down, there are a whole load that didn't make the cut. So I think we'll probably just get ourselves warmed up and kick things off by throwing some of these into the mix so people can get an idea of what the hell we're talking about. Cool. So 
Who wants to take that lead? I'm going to go first. Um, Chris, ready the buzzer. Purple Rain from Purple Rain. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, of course. I've, I've got I've got both the Prince Alarm and the Cancel buzzer on rapid fire tonight, man. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that. You could have uh, fucking set your watch to that one, couldn't you? Yeah, it was coming. So, yeah, I had to start with it. I had to lead, had to lead with that one. Um, best foot forward best foot forward mate <laughs> yeah but I guess it's a, it's a good the, the soundtrack was written for the film but it's also in the film um, good song there we go that's all I'm saying on that I'm not going I'm not going to dwell on that I don't one. think any of our actual choices though come from like musical movies though do they whereas that is pretty much a musical no mine does mine definitely does oh yeah no, that's, yeah, right, yeah. that's right yeah. the, by the can I just say Mark Describing Purple Rain as good song is about as understated as Mark will ever get in his entire life. Because you know that inside he's absolutely fucking pitching a tent about that song right now. He's just trying to act to go. Not inside, also. also inside. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a good shout. Uh, all right, I'm going to pick one that's quite Scottish. Restless Natives soundtrack uh, by Big Country. Mm-hmm. There's some rippers on that. And also very relevant to to the film. I think like that that really was that along with like local heroes, like one of those makings of a band where they just became really intrinsically identified with the country as a result of it. Everyone's seen that? Just a curiosity. <laughs> uh, yeah, good film. It's great. Um, I, I I haven't seen it, and you've mischaracterized me wildly as a movie buff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any uh, any bits and bobs lying about on your cutting room floor after you made your list up? Um, I had the odd thing, yeah. Um, I had talk about Nicholas Winding Refn a little bit later on, but um, has anyone seen uh, the Neon Demon? Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, really. I, good. I love that film. Um, and uh, there's not a massive amount of uh, obviously it's mostly Cliff Martinez stuff in that, but um, the scene where they go to this kind of massive ornate nightclub when you kind of it's like um, Dakota Fanning's character getting her kind of first taste sorry Elle Fanning's character getting the first kind of taste of the kind of wider world when she gets there they go to that nightclub and uh, Demon Dance with Julian Reffin plays and they kind of just like rinse all of that kind of like six minutes out of it and I think that that's amazing Um, I didn't know if musicals were against the rules or not. Um, so my, uh, so my final list didn't include anything from Stage Fright. Uh, not the old Stage Fright. Stage Fright from 2014. All of us have heard these names of hate, but let me get one thing straight. I'm gay. I'm gay, but not in that way. Musicals move me and touch me in ways I can say. Has anyone seen it? I haven't seen that actually Um, So Stage Fright is about um, a bunch of theatre camp kids who get stalked and killed off um, by a masked kind of like conventional slasher villain who loves metal and hates musicals 
um, I feel like I'm totally that. feeling it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it, yeah, it's it's and it's um it's got meatloaf in it, and it's really fun. And uh, basically, every original song in that is hilarious. So I wanted to throw some things from that in the ring, but just generally the soundtrack from that. And uh, the other thing that came to mind for me was um, "Hero" by Family of the Year from Boyhood from uh, Richard Linklater. Oh god, that fucking film! <laughs> what did no wait? Wait no, like uh, oh god, how? Oh man, I mean this this is gonna happen a, a number of times. Let's be honest, but I fucking hate that movie. Oh really? Um, okay. So grotesquely overrated. I can't remember anything about that film except I, I just a pervasive sense of frustration uh, <laughs> at, at how many good things I'd heard about it and how little I gave a fuck about it as it happened. A pervasive sense of frustration is what life's all about, man. It's what he's trying to say. <laughs> yes, the normal day. <laughs> yeah, but I go, I go to the movies to, ex- to escape that, you know. I don't go to the movies to, ha- to pay Richard Linklater to put me through it. <laughs> I, I could have done, done that at home. <laughs> yeah. Can I demarcate, actually, a couple of little categories that might help us distinguish some of these things? So, I tried to avoid more or less credits music where where a song either introduces a film or just pops up as the credits roll mm-hmm. one of my choices clearly straddles that um in the end but i think that counts because it straddles it starts with that uh and then leads into the credits but mm-hmm. there are some absolute fucking rippers of just great credit needle drops or indeed great opening credits um and i'm sure i'm absolutely sure you'll be with me on this mitch uh credence clearwater revival uh american werewolf in london <laughs> I yep. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's so fucking good. That's such a fucking great choice. The, the the whole bad moon rising, moon werewolf, everything about that is just great. And the kind of jubilant nature of that, you know that that um that weird uh, juxtaposition of the fun song with a film about dying and werewolves reminds me a little bit of the stupidity at the start of Cabin in the Woods. Not oh, not, God. not musically, I, I, but just that fun playfulness. Like this is a this is ostensibly like a film about gore and murder and slashing, but here we're going to be really cheery and silly about it as well. Aye, yeah. Um, I originally, I think, like my first draft of a list had a bunch of stuff that basically all did that. It's like ah, it's supposed to be scary, but the song's kind of funny or nice. And it's like I ended up whittling it down to a couple of those, but it's something that really appeals to me and works over and over. But the Cabin in the Woods is a great example of that. I love that film, but the opening's amazing. Mm. Uh, another amazing opening uh, is I think this will probably get a mention later on, but a Night Call from Drive, the Kavinsky track. <laughs> yeah, it will. It will get immensely later on. And I have to say, I think Cars on the Table, this is by far the best song on on, on that soundtrack for me. There's actually, I think it's called, is it Dustin and Goyan mix? (laughs) 
there's like a version of it that's slightly faster and certainly for dj and dave i'm sure you've tried it in the past like the the, the remix of it is way way better because the the movie version is very plodding but it kind of suits the opening credits in that sense and, and immediately cements it in that 80s retro territory i think it's like it's kind of like it's like a cruising tempo mm-hmm. yeah exactly uh whereas the other one's a dancing tempo yeah uh other amazing closing music that I did, again I didn't choose from my list there's a track called We Were Wasted uh, by a band called The Leisure Society and I will close my eagle eye hang up my skin to dry uh, and it's in the film Tyrannosaur the Peter Mullen film oh Jesus okay yeah, yeah. Super dark film, beautiful film actually, yeah, yeah. but an incredibly beautiful song. That band are actually usually quite upbeat, but that song is terrific, like really, really beautiful, and it just it is perfectly judged. It was a great choice. I think it's actually because Paddy Considine used to play in the band, or if not in the band, in a previous incarnation of the band, he was the okay. bass player, I think, and so he's always kept in touch with them. And it's just a it's a tremendous choice. Is that in fact is that a Peter Mullen film? Maybe he directed it and Mullen just starred in it. Maybe that's what the connection was. Yeah, a, a, an amazing one. Uh, another name that I noticed listeners mentioning that he's probably got a fair few. To his name is Elliot Smith. Uh, for me, the best one is probably Miss Misery at the end of Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, just I absolutely fucking love. But obviously, there's a number of other Elliot Smith ones. We mentioned one a few weeks ago. Yeah, there's there's one on uh, there's an Elliot Smith song in in my li- my Wes Anderson list as I have a list for Wes Anderson songs. <laughs> and, uh, Needle in the Hay from the Royal Tenenbaums, you know. Oh, right. um, it's, it's terrific. You when Richie, really? you know, shaves himself, then he's then suddenly rushed to hospital, and there's a little pause, and then you know the song comes back in. Amazing use of that song. Yeah, and there's um we mentioned when we did the Nexus recently the the neighbour of uh, Kevin Spacey's character in American Beauty and then the Elliot Smith version of Is It Because comes mm-hmm. in. Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's another really good one. By the way, it did occur to me we didn't do a we didn't do a spoiler alert at the start of this. I mean this entire episode and beyond is just going to be so rife with spoilers that you might as well just switch it off. I think if you know what the premise <laughs> of the episode is, you're you're fucked like immediately. <laughs> I I like fully intended to like diligently spoiler tag everything that came out of my mouth, so we might as well get it out of the way now. You are much much more disciplined and experienced at this. Uh, that's again a sign of the higher divisions. In um, fairness, it's a sign of having a podcast that's about films. Really, like, you know, like, you, you can't you can't really spoiler the end of a record, you know. And and the first few months of death threats at not putting in those spoiler alerts um another one that we mentioned in a recent episode was analyzed by tom york at the end of the prestige which i think is a fucking brilliant use of of closing credits music uh one that i've mentioned in the past which i think is a great bit of scoring is god moving across the face of the waters i think it's called it's a, a moby song and it's from the end of heat
Um, yeah. There's actually yeah. another a Moby cover of New Dawn Fades by Joy Division in that film. During the film, a car a car chase of sorts where uh, Pacino's following De Niro to a diner for a really famous scene as well. And the the Joy Division cover's great, but the way that the God moving across the face of the water swells up as De Niro's characters die in it and the lights of the runway uh, in the background swell up with the music. It's one of Michael Mann's best moments, full stop, for me. You've just reminded me of the really good use of a Moby song in that Bourne film as well, but I can't yep. fucking remember the name of it. It's Sam it's Extreme Ways. Yeah, that's yep. it. Yeah. It's usually um, every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bourne tune. Oh, I'd be curious to know how high in the kind of overall pantheon of licensed artists Moby is. Oh, we've covered that in the Moby episode, by the yeah, way. That, it's that play album was just a uh, every single song every single song yeah. yeah and that's First an 18 track record or something isn't it as well <laughs> yep. you know it's like it's not like some 10 track pisher you know it's like <laughs> yeah, um it's not thriller yeah yeah i think i'm a i think uh is that no was there not some sort of mad statistic like 50 percent of uk households had a copy of play in it or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the same amount of people that have fucking uh top loader albums and they're fucking uh, on <laughs> come on fucking fucking Check yourself, man. Fuck's sake. It's, it's not the same thing. You know, there's, a friend, like, there's a friend of mine whose favourite band is Top Loader, and um, I relayed that to someone, and they said, I fucking hate Top Loader, and both of those reactions are equally surprising to me. Well, I funnily enough, people exist we, like we, we've talked about Top Loader before when we did our, uh, our pound shop thing. Um, before we chose a terrible record or you know whatever we could find for a pound uh-huh. we actually covered Top Loader and uh, funnily enough I know a guy that was in Top Loader fuck off well he's connected to one of your wildcard choices as well who is it? Uh, it's, he he managed the excerpts okay I think I know what you mean okay, okay. Uh, and he was the I think he played keys in Top Loader so funnily enough he loves that tune as well, right there. <laughs> that is, is, that is it's too, way too early in the evening for you to be blown my mind like that. <laughs> um, the last the last one I've got down as a credits tune is, I think, an absolute ripper as well. Goonies Are Good Enough by Cindy Lauper from the Goonies. Which was obviously written for the film, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Uh, and oh, it, oh, genuinely is one of our best tunes. And that's this is a woman with a lot of good tunes. And Goonies Are Good Enough is an absolute killer song. Really good song. I think that got a mention from was it Hazel Burgess? One of our one of our regular listeners picked yeah. up on that one as well. Yeah. I already had it down. I fucking love that song. And it's just an awesome movie as well. I'm just going um, to pick um, up on uh, Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader works really well. Please don't. <laughs> in Four Lions. It's in Four Lions. And like, the, whole, yeah. the whole yeah, point of it, it is they're fucking loving this cheesy tune on a van down to London to blow shit up. Yeah. You know what? Now that you've said that, that's actually a contender for like a proper great choice because it is a brilliant choice for the reason that yeah, it's so it's terrible. It's, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's incredibly funny. Like, for, like it's, it is a great choice. It's not a great song, but it is a great choice. <laughs> um, and then, funnily enough, I think you and I, Chris, were maybe going to choose a finisher in from Four Lions. Or uh, did you choose it? Or maybe I've just made this up. I've cho- no, I've chosen him from another film. But yeah, uh, okay. You, you, but yeah, mentioned. Apex Twins Avril Fourteenth finishes Four Lions.
and I didn't go for it in the end because I thought it's not quite necessary that it, it doesn't have the context it's just a beautiful piece of music that is quite fits very well with the, mm. the sort of sad ending and I thought you know what any sort of slow sad piano music could go here but it works it does work mm-hmm. really well um, and since you've broken the seal then the Aphex twin that actually really <laughs> the, the, I debated putting it in my top three because I think it's fucking brilliant although the reason I didn't was for exactly what you said is that yeah they probably could have used any bit of hellishly screamy terrifying music but for anyone that's seen 8mm uh, the mm-hmm. scene where Nicolas Cage is stalking through the house of Machine, trying to find him, and the entire scene—I think it was—I think it was actually Trent Reznor was involved in the soundtrack of that film, and the, it's really well chosen the stuff that's in it. But the, the entire scene has the sound of uh, needle static from the record player going through it, mm-hmm. and then it's cool. you just there's an amazing jump scare when totally off out of shot, the needle just jumps onto the middle of Come to Daddy, and it's that bit like. Aah! It's it's horrible. And it's just echoing through the corridors, so he knows the guy's in the vicinity somewhere, he doesn't know where. It's a fucking brilliant scene, and obviously that bit from that song is so ghastly anyway that it, it just works fucking brilliantly um couple of like big fucking bangers from the 80s i think it's 80s yeah it must be the 80s short circuit 2 holding out for a hero by bonnie tyler short circuit 2 in my nexus but didn't quite Wow. Ah, well, I mean, who could forget that sight of Johnny Five all punked up, racing down the side of the docks towards, is it a, is it a crane or something that he ends up using? But I mean, gets the blood flowing, that really does that one. Should I talk about 80s, man? Let's talk about The Touch by Stan Bush from Transformers. That is about the, from Transformers. <laughs> Transformers is full of some absolute killer songs it really as well, is. yeah. Do you know that uh, Unicron is actually um, Orson Welles' final role ever? Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's Nexus Gold, man. You shouldn't have wasted that. I man. know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, another classic 80s one. Joe Esposito's You're the Best yeah, Around. Yeah, I've got that right next to it in my list. <laughs> 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 competition montage is one of the great montages I mean it's up there with the Rocky montages <laughs> the, the the competition at the end of Karate Kid with that song over it that, that song's a fucking ripper and you know there's even I've, I've been DJing nights at Sleazy's where the people in the room are clearly like their parents weren't even into puberty when Karate Kid came out and yet <laughs> for some reason you play You're the Best Around and they all know it and I can't get that I, I can't figure that out now You've just you've triggered something in my head there for some reason, and it's definitely something that I should have had on my list. Um, has anyone seen uh, Night Train to Terror? 
No. no, I hadn't. I hadn't either until um, it was picked for an episode of our show. But um, it's basically it's uh, it's it's an anthology. It's an anthology horror film, um, and part of it is this conversation between God and the devil that takes place in a train carriage. It's it's nonsense. The film's the weirdest fucking thing. But um, <laughs> but every time it cuts back to the train, you get a snippet of this um, like all these people who are decked out, kind of like almost like they're shooting a video in the like route to the train bar like in the lobby of the train carriage <laughs> um and there's this song called uh, everybody but you by joe torano which is like this insidiously catchy like just straight shooting 80s pop song but like it just like took up residence rent free in my head for weeks afterwards everybody's got something to do everybody but you come on Well, I noticed you'd picked one of those for your list as well, which we'll get to. There's there's one in there that couldn't be a straighter shooting 80s ballad. <laughs> oh, yeah, another one you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, talking of 80s ballads, uh, it must have been Love by Roxette and Pretty Woman, the goodbye scene. Yeah. I close my eyes. Yeah, I mean that was the the scene of a generation of young mm-hmm. women yeah, just greeting themselves unconscious, uh, and also Roxette's almost unreal on the soundtrack to the Super Mario Brothers movie, Super which Mario I thought was Bro- equally impactful. I am so glad you said that, right? Because that is an, actually a fucking great song. It's a fucking and, bro, it's so underrated. Yeah, it's a fucking great song. Do you know, right, that see, see in the film Face Off, the boots that they wear and the, uh, you know, the magnetic boots they wear in that film, they're actually the boots from Super Mario Bros. The exact same fucking props. I thought you were going to be like, they're the boots from the video from It Must Have Been Love. <laughs> I, I would, it's interesting as well because I think Face Off's probably the only film worse than the Super Mario Brothers film. Are you fucking mad? Oh, come on now. <laughs> it's, it's. It's dreadful. It's not even good by Nicolas Cage, John Travolta standards. It's a fucking dreadful film. Get the fuck out of here. Ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> um, chat. Holy <sighs> shit, man. Oh, my mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, moving swiftly on. An 80s tune used to really good effect in a modern film, uh, Crank 2, Are You Speedwagons Keep On Loving You? At the nice, end, when nice. Jason Statham's on fire, having a sort of uh, daydream, <laughs> like literally or figuratively. <laughs> no, he's 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 well. In the context of the film, he's he's literally on fire, but he's daydreaming about hugging his girlfriend, and instead he's hugging the the one of the villains and burning her to death, and he's totally deranged. And you know, it would be an absolutely tremendous end to that film like like crank one was one of the only films that i've ever applauded in the cinema nice <laughs> like, you fucking did like face off good god right. man 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh no, but I mean, God. this is painfully <laughs> revealing shit. <laughs> Crank is at least knowingly bad. Face off, so sort of. Face off. It's a no, John Wayne film. Not, yeah, it's not. It's not enough. It's not got the right balance. Anyway, Crank Two. The, you, you get through the film and you're like, actually, you know what? That's a pretty strong follow up. And then they almost ruin it with a final fucking shot of the movie when Statham turns the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and like gives the camera the middle finger. You've and like it's just taking your fucking life in your hands with breaking the fourth wall, man. You either oh, get that man. dead right or dead wrong. There's no middle ground. Cut that fucking film five seconds sooner, and I, I'm all over it. But I, I, that one shot just completely made it. It made it so smug. You know, it made it so self-aware when it did that. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. Such a poor fucking judgment call. But the two minutes prior to that we had a Speedwagon is terrific, especially just because it's a fucking great song. Um, 80s stuff, the entire film, uh, Queen Highlander, just amazing. The Yusuf who wants to live forever mm. in that film could mm. probably have almost made my top three. I think it's brilliant. It's really sad. Heather, his girlfriend, Connor's girlfriend in the Highlands, is aging as he's, by that point, obviously an immortal and staying young. It's a really, really fucking sad montage of him staying young as she gets old and dies. And uh, obviously, we've talked about that song in general before, the, the gravitas because of Freddie Mercury dying and knowing that he was ill and all that. It's just really, really touching. I love that. I'm staunchly of the opinion that that is the main reason why that has become a funeral song for people. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, going back a wee bit, obviously another film defined by its music, The Graduate. Simon Love Share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Mrs. Robinson in that especially is mm-hmm. just legendary, isn't it? Yep. Uh, one that, I mean, a um, uh, spoiler alert, one that made a lot of listeners' lists is obviously, I mean, it's got to be one of the most archetypal modern uses of a uh, sort of incongruous song in a film, uh, Where Is My Mind in Fight Club by Pixies. Yeah.
Aye. Guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't argue with that. It really doesn't massively fit with the, 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 the musical aesthetic of the rest of the film. It's this, it's this indie tune suddenly in, in this film that's got a lot of like kind of quite modern sort of electronic stuff. Brilliant though. I mean, clearly it suits the 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 theme. Where is my mind? But it's fuck it. It's made that song. I mean, that song was like an indie hit for Pixies fans, mm-hmm. you know. But exponentially bigger now. It's the kind of song that people who have never owned a Pixies album in their lives probably don't even know who the fuck they are will sing along with. Ah, it's like a Second uh, Life deal, that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, <laughs> singing along with songs. Hadaway. What is love? Night of the Roxbury. Oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a bit of a Bohemian Rhapsody moment, like in a Wayne's World. But you know, you're going in your party night out. You put on a guilty banger. I think it works pretty well in that. I think that a couple of listeners picked up on that one as well. Uh, yeah, running out here. A uh, couple of kind of low, kind of low down tempo ones. Amy Mann's stuff in Magnolia. I think sure. is really good. A song called Wise Up in particular in that song, which bizarrely she withheld from Spotify. probably because it's so popular I'd imagine to try and boost sales elsewhere the other stuff is all up there like one and things like that but Wise Up wasn't uh, licensed okay um, there's also a kind of indie film from the mid 90s called Suburbia um, Giovanni Ribisi was in it uh, it has Feather in Your Cap which is a B-side by Beck and I think it was honestly one of the one of my favourite songs of the 90s it's such a weird ketamine downbeat indie slacker anthem it's fucking great um and yeah when i saw recently uh shitlist by l7 in natural born killers oh nice Anyone remember that scene? The diner scene, which yeah. is kicking the absolute fuck out of that guy. Mm-hmm. And this is the one, I couldn't decide if this song, I, I couldn't remember actually, this song was diegetic. Now the term diegetic, for listeners, Mark, do you want to explain? Because we should probably do our due diligence here. Yeah, so diegetic music is basically music that is occurring within the film, in the world of the film itself. So either it's a song which the, maybe the artist is singing, or even if it's a song coming out of a radio or anything like that, like that's the music that's within the scene, um, and then non-diegetic is soundtrack music essentially. Yeah, music that's put over the scene, mm-hmm. and there's stuff that straddles it, but it's still known as diegetic, right? So it starts in the scene, mm-hmm. and then the scene moves on without it, 
yeah. kind mm-hmm. of, and the, the song continues. Yeah. I can't remember if they put on the jukebox in that scene in Natural Born Killers or if the song just starts, but Juliette Lewis' character in it is singing along sporadically with the song, so there's like a little bit of a, a, a wall break there, That, but it works really well in the context. That film's got some really good stuff in it. Again, I think Trent Reznor was involved in the choices. Um, it's got a Nine Inch Nails track in it, something I can never have. A scene that's quite claustrophobic where they're losing their mind and hallucinating. It's really well used as well. And uh, yeah, last two, couldn't not mention that weird version of the Godspeed You Black Emperor track in 28 Days Later. That sort of came to sort of symbolise the film itself. And A House in a Heartbeat, that's what you're thinking of. I can't remember the name of it at all, man, at this point. But um, when he's, Is there not an Explosions he, in the Sky in 28 Days Later as well? Or have I made that up? I don't think they were a thing then, man. I don't yeah, think maybe they were not. about... I think the, majo- is the majority... Is it Godspeed when he's out on the bridge and he's looking around? Is that that's, Godspeed? That's the, yeah, that's the kind of modified version of something from uh, F-sharp, A-sharp, Infinity. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, but it wasn't on the soundtrack because Godspeed refused to license it to Warner. Uh, they refused to let them release any of their stuff. Fuck you, man. Get yourself another patsy, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the last one is one that I saw really recently, and it it caught me so off guard that I let out a little laugh in the cinema, which was also highly inappropriate given the nature of the film. Uh, Has anybody seen, I don't know if any of you have even been to the cinema since lockdown, but uh, Saint Maud? I saw it um, at Fest Glasgow. Fucking brilliant film. So good, yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant. do you remember the bar scene in that when she's out having a pint and she's kind of trying to hook up? Remember that one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the the song that's playing in the background of that is a song called The Associate by The Jesus Lizard. And, I mean, you're literally talking maybe my favourite band of all time. Okay. And it's so off-kilter, woozy, ugly, that song. It's a brilliant choice. It's got this kind of wandering, meandering bass line that's just really atonal. And it suits the scene fucking brilliantly. Um, I have no idea who had the the bright idea to pick that, but Mm -hmm. my hat is well and truly off to them. I think it's fucking inspired. Cool. Um, So, yeah. That's, I mean, like, uh, I, like, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, when you when you started talking about that scene, it's like, I ah, should I remember that music cue? Like, I was like, I'm really not sure. <laughs> no, like, I mean, it's it, it, it's it's set within the context of the bar. Like, it's meant to be on in the bar jukebox sure. or whatever. But it's it, it stands out to me because it's such an unusual song, but mm-hmm. also such an unusual choice. They're not a band you usually hear appearing in in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I loved that. That was catnip. Um, but yeah, that's that's what that's all my odds and sods. That's me done my admin. Before we go in, Mark, do you have more that you've not chosen? I've got more uh, that I've not chosen. Yeah, I've got mm. like I've got three pages of stuff. Um, do you want to go first, Dave? Will I go first, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just had a few big hitters. Um, okay. I remember when I was fifteen. It's a film that I, I I don't know if I'd really watch now, but I remember in Snatch, it used uh, Angel by Massive Attack really, really well. Oh, I think I, it's maybe when 
they go and burn down the like the traveler's camp i think and it's like i mean massive attack do very cinematic music anyway but like that's just a fucking great baseline very dramatic i guess this is one that counts as a sort of opening credits and it's the end by the doors at the start of apocalypse now apocalypse now yeah. <laughs> I mean, lovely pretty much defines an era it's um, amazing It's also kind of inspired to use the end at the start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so it's a cool touch in that one. I, I've got Hip to be Square in American Psycho. Yes. I mean, fucking Hugh Lewis in the news. Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, a couple of listeners picked that as well. It's like you're, you're playing in my hands with that, man. I love that so much. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so great. Um, I mean, that you know, have you read the book American Psycho? Yes. Yeah. Right. So I, I absolutely think it's fucking genius in the book when he does those chapters that deviate into like the back catalogue of Mariah Carey or yeah, or the back catalogue of news or Phil Collins. Yeah, Phil yeah. Collins. Yeah, it's Phil Collins. He talks about it and then yeah. they changed it for the movie. I think. Yeah, no, he, does, abs- he talks about uh, that album as well, and yeah. there's a chapter oh, yeah, on that album yeah, in the book. That's right. he, he does a bunch of them, but they, <laughs> they, that is such a brilliant device that Brett Easton Ellis used in that book to to, to illustrate his obsessive, disordered thinking, disorganized thinking. I, I fucking absolutely loved that, and so in the film. It was a nice. You couldn't have a whole part of the film that was the backstory of Phil Collins, um, but you could make allusions to the music of that era and some of the artists that were talked about in the book uh, in that way. And so that was a perfect point. And the contrast of it with you know this the, the upbeat nature of the song with the scene that it's depicting is fucking brilliant, man. Really, really well chosen. Um, one I chose that. I mean, it's a classic, but it works really well because it's repurposed. Is uh, singing in the rain. And I mean, obviously, from the original, but then Kubrick repurposed oh. it for brutal effect. And I mean, it's like a motif that like ties the entire movie together. Yeah, exactly. I um, am. Uh, this this was an outlier on my list. I almost had this. Um, and it just it works so well, and it works because of the song it is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, just one more, and it's one that actually I watched Annihilation for the first time last night. Oh yes. Uh, Chris says he thought it was shite. I enjoyed it. I like it. Um, But funnily enough, like the whole soundtrack is scored by Jeff Barrow and I can't remember the name of the other guy, but Jeff from Portishead. Um, But then there's just one part in when they're, you know, at the end and it's, spoiler alert, they're in a lighthouse. For fuck's sake. Spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) No no point in watching it now. Um, But yeah, like there's a slight change and it's just a really dramatic bit of music and it turns out that that's from a track by Moderat um, which came out about five or six years ago and it fits perfectly with the score um, it's called The Mark Interlude in Ope. It opens up one of their albums. Um, but it was, yeah, just funnily enough, I heard that last night and I checked out the soundtrack. Yeah, all original score apart from that one bit, which is the one that I was like, oh, I really like that bit. 
so yeah funnily enough um but yeah there's there's my outliers mark you must have a couple I have a, f- have a few aye. <laughs> um, I'll start off with uh, Fight the Power by Public Enemy from Do the Right Thing Okay You guys seen that? Uh, yes so that like that's that film plays throughout the that song plays throughout the entire film on Radio mm. Rackham's boombox for the whole thing. The film was that the song was actually written for the film and then they decided to put it on a feed of a black planet afterwards. Um and the message of the film and the song are just kinda entwined basically. It's really cool that it's played throughout and obviously Spike Lee knew that. Um the only time it stops is at the end when Samuel Jackson plays an alarm as a he's a radio DJ and then he says wake up so it's like a really cool use of diegetic and non-diegetic music working at the same time um, another one which was one of the first ones that popped into my head was uh, Jump Out of the Fire by Harry Nielsen and Goodfellas you know the helicopter scene I mean, there's a whole bunch of songs played in that, but it keeps recurring. It keeps coming back to this song, and I don't know if you guys know, but the use of music in Goodfellas is like super specific. So there's certain tunes put at certain times in the film to depict like Henry's like mental state or where he is in his life, and mm-hmm. this is one of them. Obviously, at this point, he's freaking out. He's taking a ton of coke. He's he's really paranoid. He's getting followed by a helicopter, obviously, <laughs> uh, and at the end, he gets caught. Um, so and, and the, the lyrics of the song kind of play along with that, and the song itself kind of keeps fading out and coming back in. It's really really cool. I get like Martin Scorsese is pretty famous for his use of music, and he, you know there is a few that he chooses specifically quite a few times. I can't remember. Oh, I mean, there's Gimme Shelter, Layla. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Oh, and that fucking terrible Dropkick Murphys song in The Departed. Ship up to Boston. Yeah. Yeah. To Boston. I actually think that kind of works really well. Really well. I like it. I, fucking I like hate it. Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. Um, but uh, get, like when you say Scorsese, the, weirdly the thing that springs to my mind is give me uh, give me shelter at the start of the Departed. I love that. Yeah, it's so cool. Another one I had was Twist and Shout from Ferris, Bueller, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, fucking yes, man. Definitely. <laughs> and there's a lot, there's a couple of good needle drops in that, but when he's doing the karaoke thing and the whole mm-hmm. brass band are playing in the in the um, parade, that's super cool. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a Tarantino list and I've got a Wes Anderson list. No doubt. <laughs> um, and I've also got an Edgar Wright list. So the Tarantino okay. one, uh, it's okay, I'll keep it, I'll keep it dead brief. Um, obviously, the biggest one is Steelers Wheel. Um, stuck in the Middle from Reservoir Dogs which everybody knows I'm not going to say too much on that if you, if you yep. don't know it go and watch the film mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a Cross 110th Street by Bobby Womack and the intro to Jackie Brown when she's walking through the airport mm-hmm. super cool I was the first brother of doing whatever I had to do to survive I 
I'm not saying what I did was all right. Trying to break out of the ghetto. My favourite use of song in one of his films is Cat People by Bowie and Inglourious Bastards. Yes, that's incredible. Um, it's the most. It's, so it's really an really anachronistic, but it's when it's Sosana, Sosana, Sosana. She's basically getting ready to kill all the Nazis in the theatre, mm-hmm. and she's getting dressed in cat power and cat people's plane. It's so cool, man. I, mm. when, I remember when I seen the cinema, I was like, "What the fuck is that doing in this film?" Because this is yeah. set and it's World War Two, and it's it's dead. Like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> Works really okay, well. That that probably almost helps, in fact, with that sort of uh, fake history side of it you know the, the fact that the film is a reimagining the fact that it's not a, an yeah, account, it's like, realistic it's account. definitely a film it's not a, you know like yeah history yeah it's like it's, it's, like, it's like it's like the entire thing is historical revisionism and we're not going to split hairs about david bowie being on the soundtrack you know? i mean yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in it I'm, I'm 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 full of hot takes but I, I would put that up there as maybe quentin tarantino's best movie it's I'd, up there I'd for probably, me. I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, aye, it's it's it might be my favorite actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. aye, it's 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 fucking magic, man. In terms of rewatchability, it is fucking outstanding. See, um, just when you were talking about closing credits things really quickly, something just occurred to me. Like, um, has anyone seen Win Win? Um, I don't think so. Tell me more uh, about that film. I may have seen it. So, um, it's a Tom McCarthy film who went on to make uh, Spotlight that won Best Picture a few years ago. Um, and he's made a couple of films that I really love. Um, uh, the Visitor, The Station Agent, stuff like that. All these kind of like fairly simple stories that are told with maybe three or four characters on a very small budget. Um, Win Win was like a step up. It had like Paul Giamatti and Mel Nguinsky and people like that in it. And basically Paul Giamatti plays this lawyer who is up against it financially, um, has this elderly client who's kind of starting to kind of just descend into senility a little bit. And he kind of finds this window to solve his financial problems in a way that is kind of like ethically unsound, but no one gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And the story kind of widens out from there and it kind of has to pull into this bittersweet, ethically sound ending. And um, the closing credit song, and I was never going to make it out of the back of this without mentioning The National. But um, uh, but um, I think you can wait by The National, which is a song that they wrote for that. We've been losing our exits one by one plays over the end of it and I always just think that like any time that a guy in his 40s has to make a bittersweet compromise in his like day-to-day blue-collar life I feel like the National should be playing <laughs> it seems like uh, very much sort of over it doesn't it <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly mine yeah it's like, it's, like, it's like I am getting increasingly comfortable about bands who sing about inadequacy and back pain so like um, uh, yeah oh my god anytime anybody in a cheap suit has to walk home in the rain with an umbrella, <laughs> the National should be playing <laughs> like I can, I, I, I can hear the disparaging tone in your voice which makes me even more angry that you're right <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to go back to Tarantino for a sec Speaking of hot takes, I think Kill Bill 1 and 2 are his, two of his worst films. Either right. pish, I'm not a fan either. No. But Bang Bang by Nancy Sinatra at the very start of Kill Bill Volume 1, when the bride is, is basically like with some black and white and she's dying, mm. I think that's a really good use of music there. Aye. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really well done. And my last one, which is less obvious, but it's in Pulp Fiction when Marcus is explaining to Butch that he should take the deal because he's 
he's getting old and he should throw the fight. In the background, let's stay together, but Al Green's playing. Really good little sort of connection nice. there, which which works really well. Something just occurred to me, and I, I don't know why, but I'm going to move out of this whole thing for a sec uh, and go and talk about the, the song "Still" by the Ghetto Boys in Off Space when they're beating the fuck out of the printer. Oh, like, it's be- so that's good. Be- <laughs> yeah. I, I- <laughs> I haven't seen Office Space. I fucking love Office Space, man. Yeah, there's another fucking great bit of music in that is the when he's in the car playing the the gangster rap. That's the exact same band, Ghetto Boys. Is it the same band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's cool. And he turns it down when the black man walks past the car. Yeah, it's exactly it's exactly same artist. It's pretty cool. Mike um, Judge. I was going to mention that as well. It's, that is brilliant. That's uh, my, my Wes Anderson one. I've only got two to add to that. Uh, we've also already said Needle in the Hay, but Making Time by the Creation at the very start of Rushmore. So Brian Cox, the character, mm-hmm. says he's the worst student that we have. And then basically <laughs> it's the creation, it's a song playing over like a montage of all the extracurricular activities. That, that is like, great, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just tells you so much about the character, like straight away. Yeah. What you, everything you need to know about him is encapsulated in, in the, the, those sort of scenes. And it's really cool. And the final scene of um, Life Aquatic by Steve Zissou when Search and Destroy by Iggy Pop is playing in the Stooges. Mm-hmm. And he's just shooting pirates and being pure badass <laughs> whilst in a bathrobe, <laughs> open chested. <laughs> so good. <laughs> see, see um, while you're on your Wes Anderson kick, uh, I'd actually, one that got mentioned by a listener, I think it was, in fact, I think it was Vicky, our sometimes host, that. Uh, Mentioned Oyoko's use in Rushmore. Yeah, that's good as well. Uh, which is, I mean, it's really romantic the way it's used in that film. I have to say, the lyrics of that song grind my gears. John and Yoko grind my gears like no end. I've Fucking can't stand all that pish, but it is really brilliantly used mm-hmm. at, at that bit of that film. Also, I can't remember the name of the song. Oh, um, Serge uh, also uh, puts his name. Oh, like, he does. Like, yeah. He does like I met. Basically, he does loads of different boy songs throughout the film. Aquatic, I mean that right? works really well just throughout. Yeah. It's quite an mm-hmm. interesting method of doing it. Just like yeah. repurpose an entire back catalogue. Mm-hmm. And one thing about it in my head there, I can't remember the name of the song, but there's a Kink song in the Darjeeling Limited when they're running for the train, slow motion. Oh, oh that's good. That's really good actually, yeah, you're right. Right. 
I, actually, I mean, I think it's a really great film. It's a, yeah, somewhat underrated. It's, it's a really touching movie. Yeah. I'm going to scoot through Edgar Wright real quick here as well. Obviously, Don't Stop Me Now and, and Shaun of the Dead. Just, it's, just, <laughs> it's just funny. There's a couple uh, of... Also, 80s Matchbox Beeline, Disaster and Shaun of the Dead. Yep. Uh, Caught by the Fuzz is in Hot Fuzz is over the end credits. You're talking oh, about it on. That's great really cool. song. Yeah. I really like Black Sheep by Metric and Shaun of the Dead. I'm not, I don't really think much of Metric, but I think the song works really well and the, the, that band are playing it at, at that time. And it, it, you, You're going to have to go over that when I nominate them. It says so much. <laughs> uh, I'm Free by the Soup Dragons in The World's End, which is mm-hmm. awesome. And pretty much the entirety of Baby Driver. All of it. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, Bell Bottoms by uh, John Spencer Blues yeah, Explosion. The that's amazing. Star. So good, yeah. man. Yeah, admittedly that's a fucking ripper, but that film can fuck off. I love that film so much, man. Is that Brilliant. because is that is that because of you not liking the film, or because of cast members turning out to be beasts? Spoiler alert! Yeah, I've known Kevin Spacey was a beast for a lot longer than that. I got in um, I went for lunch with one a co-star uh, from a, a previous film years ago. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need need indeed and on some horrendous stuff about kevin spacey far worse than he's been found guilty for Aye, okay um uh, that'll tell you when we're not recording my final mo- final honorable mention for edgar Wright is uh, the a-team in space i know it's a tv show <laughs> fucking hell i was just like yeah yeah okay play fast and loose for your own rules yeah there. i just had to because edgar Wright had to bring it in do sure. you guys remember the scene they're in the club they're all pilled at their faces uh, yeah, Mike starts starts doing the A team dance, and the whole the whole nightclub are dancing along with them. It's just so funny and it's brilliant. And yeah, I just had to drop that in there. That covers right. it for me. Handsome. Well, that, um, that that's uh, a good forty five minutes on songs we haven't chosen. Yes, <laughs> excellent. Good. Okay. Good. 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 So uh, I I'm, I'm glad that... I'm glad I didn't make any other plans tonight. That's like I had a feeling this would happen. <laughs> yeah, it always happens. Yeah. So. Uh, 
All right, we'll try and we'll try and uh, plan ahead here, right? So we'll do some of our lists, and then we'll maybe take a break and come back in part two of this show. So I think Mitch, if you feel like picking a few at random off your list, then we'll we'll give them a give them a crack. Sure. I um. So I want to say in step with what Mark told me to do, I have got eight and two wild cards. Yes. Yep. The yes. wild cards being songs that we think would make great moments in films. Uh, but have, as far as we're aware, not already been used. I'd be really surprised if either of my two have, and I don't know about it. But who can say? Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I can I can pick a couple if you like. Mm, go yeah. for it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I know that you make a playlist of this afterwards, and I don't like being the guy that picks Freebird. <laughs> because realistically if you shuffle play a playlist nobody wants nine minutes of freebird no, no. Um, what two minutes of freebird but yeah but like um but um i, I think that I, I i chose it because i'm not i'm not mad about rob zombie as a filmmaker no, i kind of feel he like, definitely should be i kind of i kind of feel like i yeah i love the idea of him being a horror filmmaker um but i think that like i think that he loves too much stuff i think that like i i i feel like he is trying to pay homage to so much stuff at once that it's sometimes very hard to really feel like he hammers down any one style and i think the closest that he gets to getting that right is probably in the devil's rejects or maybe it's just a hack match maybe, maybe just a <laughs> you know i, I kind of feel like a bit like Eli Roth, he got a wee bit too caught up in the sort of grindhouse vibes of that era, and just for me, he got the balance wrong, and I was never really able to get back into him. Some of those directors, I just think they they got the line between fun horror and actually genuinely unpleasant, like, violence just a bit wrong, and I just couldn't get back inside. Um, even when Eli Roth kind of pulled away for that a little bit with things like Knock Knock and stuff like that, I like Knock Knock, but which nobody else does. Like, I'm the person in the world that likes Knock Knock the most. I think that he balances tones really badly, and I don't think that Rob Zombie does a particularly good job of that in general either. But I think that the closest that he gets to getting it right is in The Devil's Rejects, which is not a film that I love, but I do think that it's got a great use of Freebird in it. <laughs> it does yeah. have a great um, use of Freebird. It does, it's true. And, and, like, and like I say, I mean, like, I... I'm scared about including it in the same way as the kind of like, um, you know, uh, the no stairway sign in Wayne's World. I feel like there should be a no freebird conversation. Um, Devil's Rejects, for anyone that hasn't seen it, you've got the Firefly family who are this kind of like ragtag group of horrendous misfits. And you've got this properly southern fried exploitation film where you've got this, like these guys carrying out this horrendous uh, trail of violence um, that ends with them driving their open top vehicle into this kind of police barricade. And they kind of resign themselves to the oncoming death and batter on into it as Freebird plays. I think that I probably, if I was to watch it back now, and I, I've rewatched Devil's Reasons a couple of times, but not for a few years. But I feel like if I was to revisit it now, I would probably like, I would say that I probably give the rest of the film too much credit because I like the ending so much. Mm. Yeah. Because I think that like, because it sticks the landing so well, because you just see them kind of just going out all guns blazing and getting shot to hell as the song kind of accelerates and I think and I think it's amazing I think it looks so good and I mean in this kind of like I say the southern fried Texas exploitation story like there's no better song to finish it on than this yeah it's one of those yeah. ones where could it be any other song probably not 
I think so, like, it's it's the best choice in a lot of ways. You know, I think a lot of the heavy lifting for that end it is a great ending. Uh, but I do think a lot of the heavy lifting, and as you said, Rob Zombie tends to uh, try and nod to a lot of things at the one time, was done by previous great movies. I mean, you can see that sort of you can see that sort of model in Vanishing Point. You can see that sort of model in Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. Even you can mm-hmm. see it in Butch, Butch and Sundance. They sort of going out in a blaze of glory. Like, you know, like even Young Guns, for God's sake. You know, the the the, the blaze of glory ending with the the, the almost unlikable characters kind of redeemed by this glorious suicide at the end and it is satisfying to watch them die as the viewer because you've seen them inflicting so much cruelty so there's a payoff in that sense it is satisfying um, to watch them die absolutely yeah, you're 100% and, right and I think one thing that a good song especially a, a climactic song like that has to do it has to complement the aesthetic of the film because it's your lasting impression it's like if you're in a band you finish strong you know if you're in a if you're doing a film especially a genre piece you do it you finish strong it gets that 70s vibe that manson era american south and midwest sort of creepy life is worth less sort of feel it gets that right and it also just gets the kind of trashy hickness right because leonard skinnard are this quasi racist hick band and that whole film plays on the kind of quasi racism and hickness and it's got that hills of eyes type inbred creepiness to it see i agree and i think i was looking at it and i was like i thought the same things as you just kind of articulated there better than i could have but um i looked at it and i was kind of like is this what he's doing or am i projecting that onto this but i think that regardless it's like it's a really satisfying watch the only frustrating thing about it i guess is that i think that he undid a lot of goodwill from that by making three from hell i was going to say that so mm. one of the things that mitch and i have, have spoken about in the past is i'm not much a horror fan <laughs> and uh i have actually seen house of a thousand corpses and devil rejects i haven't seen three from hell because i was don't that. like 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 let let this be the end of the story don't watch yeah. three from hell yeah, I was going to ask the exact question you just said, the exact thing you just said there. I was like, does, does he undo that by bringing them back to life, essentially, for the third film? To, an, to a certain extent, I think he probably does. Like, um, it's it's annoying because, like I say, I mean, like, I, I don't think... I, I like A House of a Thousand Corpses. I think it's fine. And I like Devil's Rejects, but I think it ends incredibly strong. And, it, and it's this perfect kind of poetic justice ending to what we know about this family. But... It's really maddening because I, I remember like within about the first 10 minutes or so of uh, Three from Hell, I was like, oh, I see. I understand. I'm going to hate this. <laughs> and I did. And I think like and it was like it was wasteful. It feels really cynical and very opportunistic to try and bleed more story out of that when he'd ended it in a perfectly satisfying way. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I th- you also touched on an interesting idea there. Like, are you projecting? And is that partly influenced by the song? And I think it, it, it almost certainly is. And actually... There is definitely a case to be made that a lot of these great moments in films are actually relying more on a great bit of music doing, again, the heavy lifting that the director can't do. So it's like an okay bit in a film, an okay such and such, an okay ending, an okay death scene, a moving such and such scene. But it's it's amplified by a very, very good, whether it's luck or whether it's actually really good judgment or maybe a really good producer, like uh, the choice of something. And ah, this, like, a, like a good music supervisor, a good somebody. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, I'm just, just like you, sometimes it's like, oh, that's really smart. That's obviously what they were trying to do. And then you're like, mm-hmm. am I filling a space there mm-hmm. myself? I mean, like, a, like so, you know. So here's the thing. You, you go back and watch the film Clerks. Um, which is a really enjoyable movie, uh, albeit really naive. But the film was really half the story was the music. 
about, about Clerks. It gave it so much of its charm and its cult appeal. It introduced people to a whole load of great bands. And I think sometimes once the once the dust clears, once the dust settles, you do actually realise, like, you know what, that film's actually not that amazing. Or that scene's okay, but fuck, they chose a great song for it. You know, sometimes when directors have, have also written the, the script for the film they're doing, they'll actually put the music cues in the script as well. I think, oh, yeah. I think the way that that's cut together at the end of that film was probably that was probably written in the script there's no way that that was cut and edited on the fly to something he clearly had that I think he must have I, I hate that I'm giving him so much fucking credit for this but he clearly no. had that thought I think you know when mm. he was making I, the end of that it's, like, it's, it's, it's quite a good observation I think like I think, I think you're probably right to be fair like I think like it, it all like it all falls so kind of poetically and so rhythmically and, and in such a satisfying way that you kind of feel like it must have been written for that to be how it played out and one thing that occurred to me when I was watching it back earlier on today it was the fact that see the amount of shots and the amount of different cuts and the amount of different camera angles that are used it must have been the biggest pain in the arse to actually film to put so together yeah leaving <laughs> that to leaving that to happenstance I don't it was probably something that didn't happen I think that was probably done with that in mind remember um, we spoke during the ooh, what episode was it I can't remember what episode it was but we spoke about uh, 2001 AD Space Odyssey mm-hmm. and how Kubrick had actually just put those songs those bits of music in there as placeholders mm-hmm. he'd like edited it this is what I want to depict this is this is the edit and then he tried to commission original score but then the commission, the original score just wasn't cutting it so he went with the with this, the placeholder songs that's why the whole lack of attribution and then the court case and stuff all came out of that mm-hmm. but I think again as you say it's, it's, it's a case of someone writing to the scene or, or edit sorry someone editing the scene based on the song and then not being able in his case not being able to retrofit that Baby mm. Driver actually did that as well most of the things that have got music on were actually filmed on set with the music and edited on set to show what it looked like know when he recut it and, and when he different takes different camera angles and stuff because yeah. a lot of the songs were actually in the script well we'll actually come back to that for I think it's one of David's choices because uh, certain Scottish director did the same thing with his mm-hmm. um, interesting yeah hit us with another one Mitch um I feel weird that the first two that I had were both from films that I don't particularly care for, but I thought they were interesting <laughs> choices. Um, so I've got um, Every Time by Britney Spears from Harmony Green's Spring Breakers. Every time I try to fly, I fall without my wings. I feel so small. I guess I need you, baby. And every time I see you in my Mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, fucking love this song. I'm just putting it out there. I think it's like a fucking you, great pop you, ballad. It's sad I'm, as fuck. I love it. You know what? It's like, don't care for the film. Love the song. Um, <laughs> Thank fuck you said that because I find this such a deeply unlikable movie. Just fucking plain unlikable. I cannot get into it. Yeah. And I think it's so fucking smug as well. And it, I, I get why this song works. It was a really, it was a really interesting choice. You know, they've gone diegetic or perhaps diuretic with it. Um, Way, I see but, what you did there. But for me, it, it instead of improving it, it actually pushes it even further in the wrong direction. It just, it, I really, really cannot get with this film. It's it got such good write-ups as well. It does, yeah. Friends with great taste rate it and I just, I don't see it at all. I mean, like, I'm not a massive Harmony Green guy in general. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's not a style of filmmaking that particularly works for me. But like, I don't know. I think so. Obviously, Spring Breakers. For anyone that hasn't seen it, you have um, these 
four girls who go to Florida on spring break and meet in with this incredibly eccentric drug dealer played by James Franco and what I think is kind of one of the early indicators of how kind of like cancelled he might be <laughs> well yeah I guess so actually yeah, yeah, yeah. cancel button but like yeah like you can kind of see it like existing on the periphery of problematic yes <laughs> um, with this but i mean like i'm i think it's i think it's interesting and like i said i mean i i completely agree with you i don't i don't like the film but um i think that when you see like these four girls and like what they descend into i think like obviously like the kind of apex of it is this crime wave montage that you get that's set to every time I don't think it's a coincidence that they chose that song. And like I said, Mark, it's something you mentioned earlier. It starts off diegetic and then it kind of lifts into the song. Mm-hmm. Because to begin with, they all gathered around the piano. And he's, uh, well, he's air quotes playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we kind of see this montage. And I mean, like, I don't know. I, th- I, I don't like this film. I think that this is a really well put together sequence. I like it a lot. Um, it doesn't earn back enough goodwill for me to rarefied that into liking the film not at all but um i think it's interesting but i also think it's not a coincidence you know you've got like britney spears who was the mickey mouse club person and every time was written about a dark period in her life and her career and like you've got vanessa hudgens and selena gomez both in this film who both like largely rose to prominence through disney properties mm-hmm. um selena gomez with um wizards of waverly place and vanessa hudgens with high school musical i think that it's Again, this is one of those things where it's like, I feel like this is a kind of a fun loss of innocence nod. Yeah. Or that's how I see it. Yeah. Well, it's, quite Alternatively, an it's quite an interesting time capsule in terms of late noughties, you know, early 2010s, American youth culture and yeah, the loss of innocence. See, I think that, and it's like, and I, again, I mean, I, I, this could have just been an, an, a, like an ironic use of a pop song in a violent sequence for no reason other than the juxtaposition is funny. But mm-hmm. I don't believe it's a coincidence, and I think that it's cool for that reason. Like, I've, like, mm-hmm. and like I say, and I think that as well. I think that when you've watched it, because I, I knew from like five, six minutes in that I was not going to like Spring Breakers. <laughs> um, so I think that when you can, at around about the hour mark, pull me back into the extent with one sequence, you're doing something right. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I immediately checked out again, mm-hmm. like when when kind of normality resumed. But I felt like it was worth a mention because it kind of pulled me back in so much in a film that I otherwise think is like a horrendous piece of garbage. It was ranked in the BBC's 100 greatest films of the 21st century. Fuck <laughs> that <laughs> all the way out the door. Oh, oh my God, man. Also, another Holy little bit shit. of trivia. Uh, this, a sequel was planned for a bit, but never happened. Um, um, and Jonas Ackerland, formerly, formerly of Bathory, was attached to direct <laughs> at one point. Um, uh, Irvin Welsh was supposed to write it. Yeah, that's right. What? Yeah, uh-huh. Aye, that was, like, that, was, that was fully a thing for like a year, wasn't it? I remember that. It seems like it's in his wheelhouse as a writer, to be honest. Aye, like, I, like, I think like that director-writer combination, that would have been good, but I mean, like, yeah, nobody was going to throw a five million budget at that. But like, I mean, I would have watched it. <laughs> I'm just delighted this isn't a future we had to live in. <laughs> 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 it's like you're just you're just glad that this got nipped on the bud and you just didn't have to think about it until right now. Uh, absolutely, I'm just choking for us to start talking. And also, sorry, I, I just want was J- James Franco's character was kind of based on the rapper Hip uh, Riff Raff. Is that not right? And I think he oh ended God, up. God, I, I have literally no idea. And he, I think he tried to sue them for copying his life <laughs> but like <laughs> you know the film is about you know he's a terrible man but he's like hey this is my life you can't do this so um 
Yeah, Riff Raff's an interesting guy. I mean, a terrible guy, but an interesting guy. Yeah, he's trying to like claim copyright over the particular brand of problematic that he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like when I think Lindsay Lohan sued uh, Grand Theft Auto Five for just having an idiot celebrity in it, and she was like, "Hey, that's me. You can't use me." <laughs> so um, you know, like the um, the record for like the most that's ever been paid out for a libel lawsuit in Australia is Rebel Wilson suing people suing some magazine for saying because she's always made herself out to be from kind of like she calls herself like a bogan which i guess is kind of like mm-hmm. um it's like a show you lingo for i guess like kind of working you know, class? like a redneck or a child it's like working um, class yeah basically yeah but then somebody like some magazine or other was like she's from a very privileged upbringing and her parents have shitloads of money and she was like do they fuck and they had to pay her like four million dollars <laughs> <That's brilliant. laughs> and now they do now they do have shitloads of money yeah <laughs> and then she and then she moved her family into a nice house yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck it Mitch. Um, so we talked about Drive. Yes, we did. And mm. I think that basically any time... Because I, lo- I love the score in Drive. I love Cliff Martinez's score. But I think that basically any time there's like a an original song or like a, a music cue in there, I think it gets it right. Um, I have gone for the lazy option and gone for A Real Hero from College and Electric Youth. Best song of the film. You're fucking wrong. That wasn't the sound. <laughs> yes, man. That 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 was the sound of seventy five percent of the women in the theater sliding off their fucking chairs as Ryan <laughs> Gosling reveals that he's got like his tender, fatherly side to compliment his kind of roguish, effortlessly stylish, tough, enigmatic exterior. It's like a fucking ridiculously idealized fucking version of a boy from the wrong side of the tracks. And this yep. tune is just. Uh, sexual diabetes, man. That's- <laughs> yep, I, le- I, le- I lean so hard into it, and that's exactly why I love it. It's like I, I, like, I love the fact that everything like about the A to B storytelling a drive. The, it's a great the sco- film, a great film. I love that's it. That's a cracking film. The, yeah, but like, but like the this- story, like what scores the storytelling and the kind of like the actual mechanics of the story of it is so dense and so sensitive that I love the fact that they pick these massive pop moments to underscore certain things, and the things that spring to mind are Kavinsky, which we spoke about in the last episode, Nightcall, which is brilliant, and. Yeah. I think it's funny that the theme song that we associate with Ryan Gosling's character in this is this incredibly saccharine pop song, which we mostly associate with kicking in after he performs reprehensible acts of violence. Yes. <laughs> like, so I, th- I, I, think, I think it's probably doing it a disservice to just be like, oh, it's like, a, it's like this kind of like sugary pop thing to underscore the hero of the piece. I think it is trying to be at least vaguely subversive. I, like, I, I, think, it, I fucking... think it gets it right. He's by the river with a fucking toddler. He's, he's carrying a toddler back as the sun goes down. Fuck off, man. Yeah, but then, but, but then her husband gets shot to shit in a botched robbery. Yeah, and then he has to go on a graphically, confrontationally, horrifically violent vengeance mission. So, you know what? It's like, that moment? Yeah. Saccharin. I have a question. Ugly after that. Have yes. Question. What is the better use of a claw hammer, old boy or drive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old boy's a bit more stylish, isn't it? Like in I, terms I don't know of, about that. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. In terms know. of the actual scene, um, I, 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 it's difficult to argue with old boy. To be fair, I think <laughs> I, I like. Um, I, I, I would honestly probably old boy. But um, I think the one thing that I think is funny. I mean, like, because I mean, I, I love Drive, and I actually I love Only God Forgives as well. But I do think as well that like beyond the back of it, after like, when I when I saw Only God Forgives in theaters, I came out the other side of it being like, 
God, I wish I loved anything as much as Nicholas <laughs> Winding Refn loves long, unbroken shots of a partially lit Ryan Gosling not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, there's a in the trailer for Only God Forgives. There's a song by the band Sons S U U N S. 2020 mm-hmm. which is really fucking cool and then it's not used in the film and it's not on the soundtrack well that's annoying which, which is annoying but it's like a really great tune actually yeah the music director for the trailer got it spot on <laughs> <laughs> oh well you just reminded me of something by the way i was talking to our, our friend of the pod ben power about this episode a couple of nights ago and he asked me to draw attention to this horrible new trend that i think is somehow sprouted from out of bank adverts and the like which is to I, take I, classic songs i think i know what you're gonna say but go on and yeah. trailers do these like slowed down gothy <laughs> acoustic versions of them and it started with like lloyd's tsb but now it's gone into movie trailers that's not a new trend stores. that's been going on for at least a decade man no <laughs> but like, the, the, the jump to movie trailers is, is newer it was in bank adverts for a decade but now it's this fucking it's appearing in films uh, with bank adverts and stuff I kind of feel like it's um, these kind of big pop songs that are reduced to like a one vocal and ukulele thing and I think that the film trailer yeah. equivalent is like slowed down doomy dense electronic versions of 80s and 90s pop standards mm-hmm. yes that's true that's true yeah. anyway yeah I mean Real Hero's good it's good it's not for my money as good as uh, Gavinsky tune um, but you know what you gonna do we've all got different opinions uh, so can we do it can we do stay i missed you yes absolutely um uh yeah i could not not include this um has anyone seen after midnight right so here's the thing i can't fucking believe i've not seen after midnight having looked into this i don't know what i was doing or how it got in my blind spot but it's like fucking driving and hitting a kid and then not stopping it's <laughs> yeah, like also on youtube made for it's, you it's I mean, quite it's ridiculous yeah it's quite it's quite easy to miss uh, so has has nobody seen it i've seen no. it yeah yeah i saw it oh, yeah. oh cool okay um, I I have to admit, I was maybe it was maybe late at night. <laughs> I, mean, I had a few saying. ports and maybe some jazz cigarettes. <laughs> sure, and, um, but like, oh, so, I, you were, so you so you were listening to Coltrane while you were watching it. Yeah, crazy. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Understood. Um, okay, that's exactly when I listened to Lisa Loeb. Anyway, <laughs> jazz cigarettes. Yeah. Okay, so 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 you've kind of seen it, is what you're saying? Yeah, but yeah. I, man, I really enjoyed it. I did really enjoy it. It's it's it's, it's, it's a really awesome movie. So, so like so so you guys, you haven't you you guys haven't seen no, it? No, I've, I've I've seen the clip. Uh, the I've seen the clip. Yeah, I've seen the clip. Yeah, yeah. The clip is good. <laughs> so um so I like I, I don't know how much to talk about this. I mean like I know we spoke about spoiler tag. Hang on, can like I just say there was there was a previous episode of Unsung where I fucking grappled trying to remember Lisa Loeb's fucking name. <laughs> for the entire episode and then had to wait until the next week when somebody contacted us to remind me who the fuck it was uh so yeah this is this is poignant to me this, this is slightly triggering oh okay i'm quite glad to bring it full circle but i'm sorry that you have to le- uh, like relive any trauma but like um <laughs> I, I like i don't want to talk too much about how this actually plays out if you guys haven't seen it like i know that there's spoiler tags but i don't want to talk about the ending if you haven't seen it because it's yeah, really cause rewarding this isn't, but... this isn't like talking about you know, a Clockwork Orange. Like a lot of people won't have seen this movie, but we would recommend seeing it. 
Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, it's directed by Jeremy Gardner, who did, like, things like The Battery and Tex Montana Must Die, and like, these cool, uh, kind of, like, you know, when I was talking about the kind of indie horror that I love, it's like, you can kind of, you can nail Jeremy Gardner's name onto this kind of thing. But he directs and stars, and he plays this guy whose girlfriend very abruptly leaves him, and uh, leaves him in their kind of dilapidated house in the woods. And while she's gone, every night, after midnight, a monster kind of appears at the door, or like this mysterious monster leaves scratch marks on the door, makes a racket, fucks off. And basically, like what you see is him kind of trying to, to navigate what's going on with his relationship and this widening theory that he's crazy for thinking these things. Um, it jumps back and forth in the timeline quite a bit um, between the present day and the kind of more idyllic phases of his relationship with Bria Grant, who is incredible in everything that she's in. And this song figures in this really lovely way. Um, in the ending to this. The end to this is my favourite final scene in a movie that I've seen for quite a few years, and I don't necessarily want to dig into the mechanics of exactly how it plays out, but it's incredible like it's incredibly rewarding if you're on board before that. And I, I picked this knowing that it was gonna be awkward because I didn't necessarily want to talk about the act the absolute machinations of the ending. Mm-hmm. But after midnight is four parts relationship drama, one part monster movie. <laughs> um it's out there you can see it on the auto video channel in the uk or you can rent it on amazon video or all the other places that's a, um that that reminds me a little bit of it is, is it what's it oh fuck is it called colossal it's Col- the, i was exactly like the exact same thing yeah it's like a movie with yeah, um, yeah, it's, uh, like, yeah it's like three parts uh it's sort of emotional drama two parts monster movie and kaiju, <laughs> kaiju film basically yeah <laughs> I, I like I say like I I I can talk about how it ends, but I feel like I'd be doing you both a disservice if it's, I did. I think yeah, you should, that's I not think necessary for this clip, though, right? Because this clip it. was excellent. Like, I really I love the fact it's only about fifteen seconds of the actual song. Mm-hmm. Is a- <laughs> oh well, um, yeah, it's 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 it, it recurs in a lot of the artistic ways. Just watch after midnight. It's the best thing I've seen in a really long time. I think okay, it's so the bit the bit I saw is when he's about to start singing karaoke and he gets about <laughs> two too. lines into you say. And then it's fucking jumped. And uh, yeah, it was very deadpan. Like the timing of it, you know, it didn't even allow any tension to build. It just had a very deadpan execution, which, yeah, uh, immediately I was, I was pretty sold in it. And that's why I was like, I can't believe I've not actually fucking seen this. A deadpan um, execution is a good way to sum up the, the entire film. The, the, like, it's the, even the choice of the song as well. I, I've not seen it yet, but you can tell just from the snippet that I saw. It's very campy. It's fun. It's a great little moment. I'd be really curious to know what you think of it when you both get around to seeing it because like yeah it's it's class aye no that's a fucking great choice um that's a pretty that's a pretty healthy innings there guys what do you think uh got three tracks into Mitch's list got all of our (laughs) got all of our admin done we've ruined a whole load of films for a whole load of people yeah we're getting on a bit that's a good day at the office (laughs) <laughs> um, alright so I tell you what we'll, we'll break here and we're going to come back with the second part and in that we'll do the rest of the Mitch's list and uh, David Mark and myself will, will throw in our choices as well nice. uh, we'll also scatter in some of the audience suggestions that we got in, in uh, when we announced the episode can we just say before we depart episode's about to end what the hell else are you going to do with the rest of your day get in our Patreon Yep. help help us out we are doing a remarkably bad job. Uh, this is probably where we're at our worst in converting our audience <laughs> into income. <laughs> you really appreciate it right now, given that David and I are putting on a total of zero bands a year. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if you can take yourself to Mark. 
patreon.com forward slash unsung pods. You can start from as little as two dollars or soon to be pounds when they force the conversion upon us. Because see, Mitch's podcast set up when they could actually choose pounds. When we set up, there was no option to do that. <laughs> so you start off at two dollars and yeah, you can. we'll give you an anthem for that and then if the tears kind of go all the way up to the point where we'll actually put our faces on a fucking t-shirt for you to the album cover of your choice and mm-hmm. also do an episode if you ask us really nicely. Soon to be added a tier where we allow you to get David pregnant. Yep, and everybody's waiting for that, so... Yeah, why not? Including, I guess, um, medical science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Top so, man. yeah, we'll see you next week uh, where we will endeavour to ruin... A shitload more movies for you. Thanks. Hey!